When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the first Wisdom Headingly Ashes Daily Podcast. I'm Yazran and with me this evening is Ben Gardner, Englander 68 for three in response to Australia's 263. Ben, when I woke up this morning, I wasn't expecting a Mitch Marsh 100, an astonishing innings really. Uh, wickets fell regularly throughout the day with the exception of that afternoon session where he individually scored 100 runs in a session and he was noticeably the most comfortable against Mark Wood's pace, just a brilliant innings. Yeah. It's just an absolutely a mad innings and a mad day. I mean, like, yeah. So if you look at if you take the first session and the last session and one ball, Australia were 114 all out, and then between that, I think it was 149 for naught and 114 of those were Mitch Marshes. Uh, and yeah, and, and you you were slightly late getting to the ground, so you text me sort of on your way and be like, "What the hell? Why is Mitch Marsh playing?" And it sounds <laughs> so. So Cam Green's got a hamstring injury. That's all it is. But this is, I mean, he absolutely sees his chance as he often does against England it's kind of weird because I was looking back I was remembering that his oh yeah his last test was I remember, remember his last test was like the but I didn't remember it was his last test and he took Pfeiffer and it was like why did he not play again and he, he broke his hand punching a wall uh and then head comes in and green comes in so there's kind of a sense that we don't actually know how good Mitch Marsh might be right now I think like, also he he's come on so much as a white ball player in the last mm, few years exactly. I mean he's not played a single test match in that so he was I guess uh it was a sort of a bits and pieces all rounder in white ball cricket and then he was elevated to the top of the order and and became one of Australia's most important players he was player of the match in the 2021 T20 World Cup final so in that sense he's a completely changed player since we last saw him in test cricket and we and to be honest he was an unknown coming into this game yeah except but then also the things that he did well for the most part, the things we know Mitch Marsh can do really well because we'll come to Mark Wood. But the key thing he did really in that middle session was he took down Mark mm. Wood. He hit him for, I think, what he put him for six and hit him for two fourths the next over. And basically, it's not that they had to yank Wood from the attack, but they knew how precious Woodovers were. Mm. So let's not have them against the guy who's basically uh, looking pretty comfortable against him. And then he looked pretty comfortable against everyone. And that was a, a pretty key moment too that he was able to do that. And he is and always has been uh, a very good player of fast, fast bowling, which not everyone is even some of the more technically uh, proficient players that is a different kind of mm. technical and uh, temperamental examination and one that he's, he has actually kind of always been been good at that but he's also added some other stuff because his wicket was doing a fair bit in other ways as well I mean you, you couldn't really question Ben Stokes's decision to to bowl first even though he did look down and not up as you're not supposed to do it headingly uh, but yeah it's a yeah free and then 
obviously he takes a wicket at the end of the day as well to maybe just edge Australia's nose in front. Oh, I think it's Australia's day with that third wicket mm. for sure. Um, and worth saying about the pitch as well, by far the quickest one we've seen this mm. this series. And actually, when Marsh was really hitting its stride, it almost felt like you were watching uh, a passenger play from a down under Ashes series on a quick pitch. England's pace bowlers, even the quick ones, not really causing a huge amount of uh, trouble for the Australian batters. It really is just a bizarre career, right? So he's got that man of the match in a World Cup final. He's potentially scored 100 in a game that seals Australia's first Ashes win in 22 years. He averages like 50-odd against England with the bat and basically 20 against everyone else. Um, well, three Ashes 100s is a, a lot of Ashes 100s. Yeah. I was going through the list of people who have three and it's David Warner, Adam Gilchrist, Ian Botham, you know, legends of the game and Mitch Marsh's has gotten sort of, well, one bit of his Ashes record to, to, to match with them. Um, ben, the other star today was Mark Woods. Utterly brilliant. 5.34, his first Pfeiffer on home so soil. We get to his effect on the game itself, but just it was pure theatre watching him charging in, bowling 95 mile per hour rockets. Yeah, and it was right from that very, very first ball, which was because obviously, you know, whenever a bowler comes back, and Mark Woods come back from injuries a few times and generally at least in recent years has been as quick when he's come back but there's still that slight hesitation whenever anyone comes back are they going to take an over or two to get back into it that very first ball was 91 miles an hour and everyone just kind of sits up and it's like oh okay the, the ashes just feels a little bit different right now then the next ball's 93 miles an hour the next one's 95 miles an hour and you're wondering is, is this, he going to get to 103 in the over yeah exactly <laughs> and even the crowd it wasn't like that there are some times when you're watching like a great spell of bowling when the crowd is like fully like like absorbed in one way and part of it and is like becoming sort of part of what's cheering the whole thing along that you know like say when Broad's doing one of those spells and he's kind of actively engaged in the crowd and is clapping them in that wasn't really happening here occasionally it would maybe after would beat the bat or they just kind of remembered that they could clap him in but actually quite a lot of the time they were basically just kind of silent watching to see what happened because you just didn't want to miss it and then as soon as the ball was bowled if like everyone was just looking up at the the scoreboard and you almost had the cheers that were bigger for that than than for him than for anyone playing a miss at some point mm. uh, 96.5 miles per hour the quickest absolutely mad yeah i mean he, he genuinely remind me of peak show back today mm -hmm. um where when you're bowling that quickly and 97 miles per hour is that ball he bowled was quicker than any ball that Joff Roch bowled in that famous Lord spell against Steve Smith. Um, and when you're bowling that quickly, even against some of the best players in the world, just by bowling at the stumps can be enough. And that wicket of Kawaja in particular, I know it did a little bit through the air as well at 95 miles per hour, I think it was. That could have been from like a Schwerbach to 2002 compilation. And that that is genuinely Mark Wood's pace bracket when he's at his very, very best. Yeah, and it's, it's funny as well, because when you look at the spell, it was so th the first 3.4 overs, there were no run score of the bat. There was one ridiculous bouncer that goes not just over the bat's head, but over Bairstow's head, one bounce into the boundary hornings and breaks the boundary hoardings and it was only, that was only like 93 miles an hour so he was a lot quicker than that at some point but also in a weird way it wasn't like there was pressure building because you do get the sense that you know if you can just get through a guy like that he's not going to bowl for too long um it's just what passed us now by the way uh if you can get through a spell like that it's not gonna he's not gonna go on for too long so you're gonna get other chances and also you might get a chance to score at him against him at some point it's more just that if there's that enough balls that are that quick at the stumps basically no one is going to be good enough to keep them out regularly and mm. that's like, like you say that was kind of prime sure what he was like and is what Mark Wood was like today and then it was at the end that he got his reward and in England have as much as that that first spell was the moment for me that was the thing that was like that that's what I'll remember but that last spell was the deserved reward and England have not been 
that good at bowling out the tail. Oh, off, it could you know? be utterly pivotal. Like yeah. that was a proper collapse at the end of that Australia innings. I think just on Wood, I think people misremember and, and uh, his career a little bit. So since he lengthened his run up in 2019, the start of 2019, he's taken 67 test wickets at 24. He hasn't got on the park that much. I don't think people realise just the difference between short run up and long run up for Wood. This is just his fifth home test since he lengthened his run up. Um, and we've very rarely got to see him actually bowl like this. Mm. Um, he's done a job for England, obviously, in Pakistan. He did really, really well. He did well in Australia. He took a six for in his last Ashes innings in Hobart um, in, in 21-22. Um, moving on to uh, some less good stuff from England today. Got to talk about the missed chances. They dropped four catches today. And in comparison to Australia, Australia took three uh, smartly held chances in the in the cordon. The kind of um, catches that England dropped, basically. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then England dropped head early, Smith early, Marsh really early, and Carey too. The Marsh one was a dolly, really, and potentially cost England in the region of 100 or so runs. And, and that, that genuinely, for all the talk about the contrast in styles, that has actually been one of the biggest differences between the two sides in the series. Australia win by two wickets at Edgbaston. England missed five or six chances at Edgbaston and that can be the difference and, and it you know we're saying that Australia probably slightly ahead in the game now that's the difference between England and Australia being ahead of the game at this point yeah and it's it's weird as well because it's one of those things where with any any issue a side has you like sort of like extrapolate and try and find you want a, you want a reason for why a team is bad exactly but this it, it's hard to explain because England haven't always been a bad catching team and maybe oh, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I reckon what the line will become if this is the thing that if England loses game and then the Ashes with it, will again be about the preparation and could they have you know spent more time catching loads of balls rather than you know mm. hitting them at St Andrews or whatever? Um, but it also just might not be that. It might just be that guys are a bit out of form. That it's, it's just one of those things in Australia. Also, they've caught really well as well, which has kind mm. of put England's struggles. Yeah, yeah. Worst thing, Australia contrast. have been way above average in the yeah. field. But, it's, not, it's not that England have been just a little bit below par and Australia have been par. It has been, England have been below par and Australia have been well above it. Yeah, but I guess the, the other thing as well is the effect it has on the bowlers. I mean, England still did well to bowl Australia out for 260, but it was kind of, until a wicket came, there was a certain, in that middle session, there was a certain amount of deflation, basically, that, that actually came on quite quickly. And obviously drop catches just hurt so much because you, um, you imagine as a bowler, from one hundred point, you'd look at it and think like, okay, we are making chances. From other thing like, well, actually, it's now looking a bit flatter. I'm not sure where a chance is coming from. And even if we create one, who says it's going to be taken? Like, mm. it, it it must be deflating. And you could sense that a little bit in that middle session, even though England did obviously blow away the tail when they got the breakthrough. There was that little bit that kind of shows the other effect of, of drop mm. catches, I think. I know there are people screaming, listening to this, just screaming Ben folks. That's one controllable... I guess that England have decided not to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting that in the team selection of this test with Pope missing out on injury, they were flexible enough to move Harry Brook up the order. They were flexible with their batting order in a way that's accommodated an extra bowler. I wonder if Stokes regains full fitness with the ball later in the series. They might use that as an opportunity to squeeze Ben Foates back inside because he had a better test at Lords, but he missed four opportunities Edgebass and he's missed two here. Mm-hmm. One of them was very difficult, it's worth saying, but that's still probably four pretty gettable chances in three test matches. And when you compare that to the other guy, that again is a is a really notable difference between the two teams. Yeah, and I wonder as well for the for this test if it's if it was just about the gap between them, if they'd had a few more days to think about it, basically, and a bit of a gap to get whoever they called up 
into the squad a bit more, whether they might have called up a replacement. But, and I, you know, Ben Folks would, would have run here if it means he gets to play in an Ashes test match. But equally, that's, you know, to some extent, if it's two days out, you look mm. around who you've got and then you you make the best with with what you have. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd hope he comes back into the thinking at least for... For, for the next test because also it's just it's just inconsistent which is what England haven't been they've been almost too consistent with their selection and with their messaging uh since Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum took over but this this is an inconsistency that folks was in the best team uh up until a few games ago mm. uh and then the only reason why he's not in the team is because they needed to fit all these guys in and now they don't need to fit all the guys in and yet somehow he's still not mm. in the best team and you know Stokes wasn't always uh uh, bowling in those tests when when folks when there was a place for folks mm. I know that there's a question then over the spinner because England had a spinner who get through loads of overs so that there are complications it's not as simple as you know there's a batter missing out mm. so folks is the next next person in but it's it's slightly more complicated than that but also maybe it doesn't need to be that much more complicated than mm. that well Johnny Besto got a potentially huge day with the bat coming up tomorrow Ben cheers for your time that's everything for today we'll be back tomorrow evening. Podcast Network.